0: Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. There was social media, and then there was social audio. Now the Breakout app combines the best of both. Best of all, the Breakout app is free with versions for iPhone and Android devices. You can download the app for free at the App Store and Google Play, or you can download for free at www.letbreak.com. This is a special episode of the Law Enforcement Today Show. Coming from the Federation for American Immigration Reform's Feet to the Fire annual radio Event. we are broadcasting from 400 North Capitol Street. On top of the roof, we have cover. It's nasty weather, so you'll hear some ambient noise. You'll hear wind. You'll hear all, maybe sirens, all that stuff. Which is kind of cool, because I think it, it it's a nice contrast from the pristine environment of the radio studio. Joining us, we have Tony Pham. He's former acting director of Immigration and Customs Enforcement, also known as ICE. Uh, Tony, first of all, thanks for being guest show, and thank you for your service. Very much appreciated. Jay,
1: hey, thank you so much for that, and I appreciate being on your show.
0: So, you're in private industry now. You did ICE for, for quite a while. How long have you been out of it?
1: Uh, two years. Okay. I left at the end of 2020.
0: So, are, are you like me? I loved I loved being a police officer in Baltimore. It didn't love me back.
1: <laughs> well, let me say this. I, I, I was introduced to ice in, in various different capacities uh, I've, I've received my initial appointment as the principal legal advisor so I was there as the chief immigration officer and then I, I had the privilege of being elevated um, to you know to replace the acti- the current the then acting director and to become the current acting director and so I had the ability to see um, how ice operated in in both different capacities from the legal side and the operational side and I got to tell you it was one of the the, the highest honors I had in being a part of such a unique uh, group of individuals. And, and I, I still to this day believe it was the pinnacle of my career and being in that level of service. And f- so from my background, um, I started off as a prosecutor, front lines uh, here in the city of Richmond. Uh, I progressed to end up being the chief gang prosecutor dealing with a lot of violent crime prosecutions in the city of Richmond. Um, but I found my niche when I went to go work in-house with the sheriff's office in a local, uh, local correctional facility there in Richmond, Virginia. And for eight years, I had a uh, awesome time working next to, to, to the sheriffs and the deputies uh, learning a lot about the issues that impacted their well-being uh, certainly from from the HR side but also from the policy side and helping t- to defend them against a lot of the frivolous lawsuits that would be filed right. and as you as an officer would understand that and um, I decided to do something crazy, uh, and get into more operations because as an attorney, you, 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 really can think and see things in a particular way, but unless you're actually charged with the duties of actually performing the job, um, you don't really get a fulsome understanding of what the men and women go through on a day to day basis. So, um, uh, believe it or not, I actually, uh, signed up to be a regional jail superintendent for, and I did that for two years. I led 136, uh, men and women in uniform who are sworn personnel, uh, whose duties were, uh, responsibility of over 400 inmates. But I was running and managing the entire component and, and understanding, obviously, you know, being back there in the back of the facility with them, doing unit searches with them, uh, responding to emergencies with them and backing in, backing them up inside of a correctional facility, you know, really opened my eyes as to uh, what, the, what our men and women endure on a 12-hour basis, right? And it gave me a newfound respect. If I didn't already have it, it, it really cemented my newfound respect for uh, the difficulties of sometimes in the job That they do so I realized they don't need leadership to constantly pounce on them they need leadership
0: to figure out ways to enhance their work experience and make them better what they do
1: yes and and that's what led me to deal with uh, enhanced training even equipment you know because I I would go out there I would I would take my my taser ride for certification purposes because I wanted to see what equipment could enhance my employees work environment and so uh, those those were you know running a correctional facility in ice those were unique moments in my career that I I, I was able to say that I walked hand-in-hand hand with our men and women in uniform, and I, I relish those moments, even two years to this day. You know, it's, it's nice and quiet in private industry, but I do miss the the, the really active run-and-gun hate day, right?
0: Sometimes and, the adrenaline rush. I must have been addicted to it, Tony, because I certainly miss it from time to time. Well,
1: I understand that feeling now. I really do. Some people think I was crazy, but, um, you know, the camaraderie you build, uh, let me just say this, some of the things that we saw, the camaraderie you build, with your workforce when you're right there with them, when OC is being deployed inside of a unit and you're getting hit just the same, your workforce sees that, right? And you're on the front lines with them and then so you take that experience and you go back to your decision-making cubicle, as I call it, and you you are now equipped as a, a leader of that organization um, to figure out what can you do to, to enhance their work environment and their work experience. And that's all you can do at that point, right? Yep. Uh, and that's all they can ask for from the head honcho in charge is what can you do to enhance their experience? So when I went to ICE, Even as the chief immigration lawyer in charge of 25 different field offices and over 1,300 lawyers, I wanted to connect with my workforce. So, you know, absent COVID, which put a pause on our ability to do this, uh, you know, we were doing town halls remotely. I I was trying to answer as many questions. So it boiled down to how much access can leadership give the individual employees on the front lines? I wasn't afraid to answer the hard question. And if I didn't have an answer, the reality is I don't have an answer but let me get it for you, right? And so I think there was a huge, tremendous value that we gave the employees by simply listening to a lot of their concerns. Some of them you can fix. I get it. Some of them you cannot. No. And so I took that to ICE and had a blast uh, as the acting director because uh, I was known for traveling to the different AORs, the areas of responsibilities in the field. We went to Minneapolis. We went to Philadelphia. went to Fairfax, Virginia, right down the street. Uh, we went all the way out. To, we went to Atlanta. We went to... Miami you know I want it to be known as as the the acting director who traveled to the field who saw the employees during COVID? Who had to come into the office? Remember, a lot of a lot of employees were able to telework or whatnot. Right. But are our men and women in law enforcement, absolutely not. They were on the front lines all the way through the COVID pandemic and still are. And so I wanted to make sure that they saw leadership, uh, uh, it, you know, in their offices, talking to them and hearing their concerns as well.
0: I got to ask you this question. Uh, By the way, I love Richmond, Virginia. I I went to high school there. We talked about it for the the interview. Uh, I took my wife to to visit the fan, other areas. I love that city. I'm horrified to see the crime problem they have. And I am equally horrified by seeing how police are being vilified across the United States. But ICE has become such a politically charged organization. I don't understand. How upset are you at the the, the politics that's always attacking ICE in particular? You know, it's disheartening
1: because I I think a lot of folks and... and I take the responsibility that as loud as they want to be, we need to be equally as loud. And right. when I say when we, I mean the individuals that understand ICE's mission, right? So when we have to recognize that ICE was formed in the aftermath of 9-11, and we were folded in in the larger creation of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. And the mission set for CBP, ICE, and DHS was certainly to protect the interior and protect the homeland. Protect us as Americans, right? By securing our borders, and number two, what ICE does by by enforcing the immigration laws that that we know that the terrorists exploited exactly. our immigration pathways. And so, it it my, my job, and and I come from it from a unique perspective because I'm an immigrant to this country as well. We
0: immigrate. Which We're going to talk about in just a moment. We got to yep. take a short break. Are you going to hang, hang around a little bit? Sure. Little? This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Turn our conversation with Tony Fam in just a few moments. So much great stuff heading your way. You don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. There was social media, and then there was social audio. Now the Breakout app combines the best of both. Best of all, the Breakout app is free with versions for iPhone and Android devices. You can download the app for free at the App Store and Google Play, or you can download for free at www.letbreak.com. John discovered a cool new app, and he just can't put it down because it has millions of great podcasts, including Law Enforcement Today. So now you can listen anytime, anywhere, and also chat with John. It's called Podopolo. It's free on either app store, so join John there. Follow Law Enforcement Today and DM John when you do. That's Podopolo. Download it now. This is Law Enforcement Day Show, returning to our conversation with Tony Pham. Uh, before I tell you that, you're going to hear some ambient noise. We are at the annual Federation of American Immigration Forms Feed Their Fire Radio Row event. We are on top of 400 North Capitol Street, overlooking the Capitol Building in D.C. Tony is a former acting director for ICE, and you can't, you've got a unique story, Tony, that I, I know people want to hear about. You're the son of immigrants, correct?
1: Yes, I'm an immigrant myself. I
0: came. So you came. How old yeah. were you when you came I was here? two years old. Yeah. So you're Born American, in, but yep. you're, you came from Vietnam. Born in Vietnam. Yep. Here's what, and I'm, I'm considerably older than Tony, by the way. I have a lot more gray hair than he does. Uh, I went to grade school in Norfolk, Virginia. My dad's career in navy, and a lot of people that I went to school with. Uh, their fathers were POWs mm-hmm. or, or MIA, um, and I have a tremendous amount of respect for our veterans and uh, and the family members of what mm-hmm. they went through, because some of them, when they came home, they've, they've never been the same. But yep. I've never really had a chance to talk to someone that went through that from your family perspective that came here right. and said, okay, here's an opportunity to do something great. My family came, my grandparents from the side came in the 1930s from Ireland. to. They were 16. They turned 16 like two weeks before, had the money in your pocket. That's it. Yeah. No assurances, no safety blanket, no nothing. They're indentured servants, all that stuff. How how difficult was it for your family to come here from, a, I imagine, a war-torn country at the time? Yeah, you
1: know, 11 days before the communist tanks rolled into uh, Saigon, Uh, which ultimately marked the official end of the Vietnam War, which was a terrible, terrible moment in, in American history for us. Um, my mother grabbed my two sisters and myself and worked her way to Tonson at airport and was able to secure one of the rare uh, a seat on one of the rare flights out of, of Saigon you know she left my, my father her husband on post um, and we, we processed through Guam without him and then we were relocated to Fort Chaffee Arkansas a refugee camp there uh, and, you know really only by the grace of God that we were reunited he was able to escape within those 11 days wow. uh, and, and again lucky to be reunited with with my father, um, you know, I grew up in an environment watching my parents struggle and that struggle permeated our home life, you know, trying to reestablish roots in a foreign country with a with a new culture and, and learn a new language in the eight, mid, mid-30s mid right. was a tremendously difficult time period. And the only jobs that were available, as you said, was obviously the, the, the minimum wage jobs. My father was a mechanic and a janitor. Um, and so, you know, poverty was real, trying to feed three a family of three, you know, living in you know, in a one bedroom apartment with five people and my parents would sleep on a pull-out sofa, you know, those were moments that were seared into my, my consciousness because my mom and dad always preached to us the only pathway out of poverty that we have, we have a lot of opportunities. Don't get me wrong, but the only way we can, we can avail ourselves of those opportunities is through education, right? Is to become educated because that's the one thing that no one can ever take away from you. They could take away your car. They can take away everything else. They can take away your home but they can never take away your education. So that's what I did. You know, My sister and I embarked on, on, on nothing but studying, right? And so it, it, I hopefully paid off. She became a medical doctor, and I play a lawyer on TV. And so at the end of the day... I you, think
0: you've done brother well, well for I,
1: I, I Thank you. And, and I, I try to be humble because I recognize, uh, and I will tell you this, uh, I recognize that my pathway to success in this country was paved not only just by my parents' sacrifices and what they did when we first got here, but also from the veterans that served in that war. You know, I will always remember and pay homage and respect to the 56,000 that did not come home from the Vietnam War that day. And you can see on my lapel pin, I wear this everywhere I go. 1,200 more were considered POWs in MIA. Um, You know, so countless others, and they did not receive the best reception home. No, they did not. None whatsoever. So I I, I live my life of service. I told you a little bit about being a prosecutor, running a jail, trying to serve my community as best I can. But I always get to that point where I will always you know, provide a thank you to the individuals who served in our military because I want them to see that their sacrifices were not in vain. There's so many other success stories, Jay. Don't get me wrong. There's so many other success stories from people from the Vietnamese community. But yeah. but this kid that came from Vietnam somehow ended up being the lead, uh, the head of ICE through a presidential appointment will always remember that my successes and my good fortune in this country were, were due in large part to their sacrifices when they left their families to go fight in the war.
0: One thing that really resonates with me, Tony, is it was... I'll say by an act of God, a stroke of luck oh. that you and your family got out. And then on top of it, your dad was reunited. Yep. So many people have tried and, and failed. It and could not make that, it was literally like hitting the lottery. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, I either have
1: a horseshoe uh, or a four leaf clover rammed somewhere, as you know, as a joke. Yeah. Um, but because of our good fortune, because I recognize that right, Jay, because I try to teach my children that they're, they're born here in the U.S. I I try to teach them to be gracious, um, with their good fortune, right? We don't want to keep up with the Joneses. We should be happy with what we have because we worked hard for it. Right. And we, and we had the opportunity to earn it. Right. And so, um, I I, I I take my message on the road a lot, and I talk to folks, uh, both old and young, um, about you know the struggles of what it's like to grow up in a you know a multicultural family, as I call it, because we we spoke English uh, at school, and then we spoke Vietnamese at home, um, and my sisters and I had to take ESL classes to help my parents learn English so they could study. Uh huh. Yeah, and so ten years later,
0: so yeah, you you were the teachers, and yeah, you were the little ones. Yeah,
1: we were the kids, and but it was easier for us to learn because you know one.
0: Yeah, day, it's yeah, Oh, absolutely. I got to tell you, Tony, when I was uh, a year old, my dad was stationed in Rota, Spain, Mm -hmm. and to go to to preschool, you had to be potty trained, so I spoke fluent Spanish for the first four years of my life, four or five years of my life, then moved back to the United States and never used it again. Oh, wow. I wish I had that. Yeah. I've always been baffled and really impressed with people who are... Are are bilingual or trilingual to think in one language and then process it and say something in a different language I can't comprehend
1: (laughs) it may it that might be an attribute of why I was successful in the way my my critical thought processes would go through Um, you know I I say this when you're sitting in that seat on the 11th floor and and, and I hope you get an opportunity to speak to Tom Holman you know we'll we'll give you the same message it there was a lot of information flow it was a lot of of stuff coming through briefings and everything like that from the immigration side but also from the homeland security side right and not only that we had to deal with you know we're an eight billion dollar organization um the office of acquisitions procurements i mean it was really a large-scale business footprint and 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 to help help me consolidate and encapsulate that into a sane moment in my life that's how i ran it that's how i approached it how what is our business model it's immigration enforcement. All right, so let's go do, be the best we can be at immigration enforcement yeah. because that, that was our business model.
0: I got to tell you, I've been trying to get dual citizenship in Ireland for four years. Okay. Um, and I'm qualified for but they didn't like the paperwork, the order they got in, so they denied me. And it was shut down for about two years to COVID. But here's the difference between that country and our country. If you migrate there and dual citizenship, so you have grandparents who are born there, which mm-hmm. I do. They'll tell you, you be, you have to be able to take care of your own health insurance. We're not going to take care of you. We're not going to support you. Why is it our country is afraid of saying things that other countries don't have a problem telling people? Here's an opportunity for you. We'll bring you in. We'll welcome you. But you're on your own. That opportunity is going to involve a lot of work. On your part,
1: yeah. So you know, let me, Jay. Let me say this. Um, it, I, I'm, I'm full disclosure. When my family first came here, we were on public assistance, right? There's I, nothing wrong no, with that. That's what it's designed that. for. Them. Yep. We, I, I had free free lunches in, in school, but you know, we worked our way off. My first job was at McDonald's, right? Flipping burgers, running that grill. Dude, I lasted one day at McDonald's. Well, yeah,
0: <laughs> I, yeah, I lasted my entire. I, I have nightmares of it. If you have the time to lean, you have the time to clean. <laughs> so I didn't last long. I was running twelve and six on continuous basis on a Friday
1: night for football, but you know, um, I, I to talk about the the culture that we have here. You know, a, a lot of us. Huh, I don't want to. I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm pointing fingers at anyone, but you know, there's a lot of virtue signaling, right? Yeah. We all want to feel good. I, I try to teach my kids. I get what you're doing. You're spending other people's money so you could feel good, right? That's socialism. That's a no-no, right? Now, when I ask you to drop 500 bucks on this charity, how do, how would that make you feel, right? So, I. I approach it in saying there's a lot of folks who just want to feel good, right? And they don't—they—they—they they, they shy away from making the hard call, the here's, hard decision.
0: Here's the thing yep. that I know we're going to short on time. Sure. If you want to feel good, do good. Absolutely. If you want to develop self-esteem, do things that, yep. that create self-esteem. Yep. It can't be given to you. And you and your family are an example. we got to have you back on. Sure. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Jay, thank you for having me. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.